please be seated. When I first started reading through today's scripture passages, I found myself filled with wonder about all the ways the authors of the various writings carry on conversations with one another. How it's actually the inspiration, the spirit moving in these writers that rises up from the page in search of connection and expansion. I began to notice And with some growing restlessness, how in the lesson from Jeremiah, God seems so vulnerable. Did I do something wrong, God says, that everybody went away? And I sat and noticed the feelings that came up in me. Awkwardness, embarrassment, even nervousness until more of the same began to call to me from Psalm 81. If only they'd listen. If we could just walk together. It was then I found myself experiencing a kind of a hushed and gentle abiding in that space. This was a whole new spirit space, a space where God's interiority and mine met. And then inspirations of my own began to rise up, and they urged me on. So I dipped rather confidently into the letter to the Hebrews, still holding on tightly, still treasuring this newfound experience of God's vulnerability. And almost instantly, an urgent atmosphere began to gather around the opening words of this passage, let mutual love continue. And like the dry bones, the words began to live. And the long history of an externalized view of God began to warm and soften. Mutuality of love crystallized. Me and you, me and God, God and you. And layer upon layer, came into focus of interrelatedness, conversations among scripture passages, the mutuality of love, so that soon it was possible to see what's always been hiding in plain sight, that human recognition of God's vulnerability is actually what makes it exist for us, and not just exist, but have some influence on us. What a difference that makes. What potential? Because it's not just about vulnerability. That's just the tip of a spiritual iceberg. The potential lies as much in being open to all of the emotions Jesus expresses or points us toward, because sometimes it's only through them that we can better understand God's desires for us. Which brings us to Jesus and how what he's doing in today's gospel expands upon the expressions of love we've seen thus far. In our readings today, God begins by showing vulnerability. Repeatedly, actually. It's our own emotions that make this come to life for us. The possibility then arises of our seeing more clearly the interrelatedness of our interiority with God's and with God's desires for the world, so that the mutuality of love described in Hebrews becomes a natural part 
of the interrelatedness across which God's purposes are meant to unfold. True to form, Jesus takes us to the next square. And there is a prismatic quality to this next square. There's an awful lot going on in it. Our interiority and God's, the mutuality of love in us and through us in the world, it would not surprise me at all if this was a big part of what Jesus is up to today. We've moved from noticing God's vulnerability and into how that notice interrelates with loving mutuality in the world. Jesus appears to be beckoning us to come closer as he sketches a way this kind of wisdom can play out in the world. When you give a banquet, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. It's like he's saying, ooh, ooh. So you want to tie divine vulnerability to mutuality of love? How about this? And he introduces this radical new concept of lavish giving without expectation. No repayment. Not even approval seeking. It's a variety of that arresting language he likes to use so frequently. And stopping even briefly to think about what he means can make a space where the threads that tie divine vulnerability to mutual love can begin to look like compassion. That's what it is. Compassion. Compassion for God's vulnerability. This recognition that we're leaning into is meant to be a gateway onto how God's vulnerability is the same vulnerability that exists in every person in need because God resides in every one of us. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Have there been times when you have found your way into giving lavishly and without expectation? Did you find a kind of inherent vulnerability in that place? In, in the worldly hive mind, there's all kinds of risks, scarcity, negative or fear-based thought patterns. Does that say anything about God's vulnerability? The God who said earlier, did I do something wrong? Did everybody run away? It's easy to see how this kind of thinking can bring up some pretty powerful emotions. But I think that in this gospel lesson, Jesus may be trying to suggest to us that there is more to compassion than emotion. It's the way to hold yourself rooted in spiritual consciousness, in God consciousness, Finding the spirit of loving others without expectation in your mind? This may be a way to help remove the distracting thoughts from the stream. It's a, a deeper level of engagement, a deeper understanding. Looking at and facing the elements of the way you think both in terms of feeling and process, by staying with those things and really seeing them. The negatives, the resentments, the fears of scarcity, they begin to lose some of their power.
and the positives, the compassion, the mutuality of love, the tenderness toward vulnerable, these are just as apt to grow in strength. And I wonder if that isn't part of what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. Two very quick final points. Based on how creative Jesus is in this gospel passage, I feel moved to hazard a guess that he's not terribly interested in the afterlife. Regardless of Luke's mention of the resurrection of the righteous, I think that Jesus is trying to tell us that if you get to the place where you're able to give lavishly without expectation, you are in heaven. Because that is where and when the resurrection of the righteous takes place. If you are able, in an entirely unburdened way, to get and stay focused on the now, and with compassion, the afterlife will take care of itself. And finally, given the prismatic quality of where Jesus has drawn us, there's an interrelatedness of compassion for the vulnerable and the easy, unburdened ways it can be made manifest. Jesus parabolically refers to the underserved in the example he uses, giving a banquet for the differently abled. Service, then, would seem to be important to him. Service born of compassion, devoid of pressure or resentment unburdened, even joyful. Finding the spirit of loving others without expectation as a way to remove distracting or negative thoughts from the stream. Does this say anything to you about what we do here? Yes, we give banquets. We're planning to get back to our wonderful twice-monthly meal programs. And of course, we have been pretty much entirely consistent in our pantry project these last couple of years. But I am moved to share an invitation of another kind. Our sweet, loving worship community, while not entirely desperate, is in great need of volunteers. Ushers, acolytes, altar guild, and hospitality, to name a few. I wonder, actually I have no doubt at all, that as we move through this cycle of human resource replenishment, those who have served will be able to communicate with power and strength to those in discernment the joys that come of the resurrection of the righteous as it is made manifest here in our midst. Wouldn't it be totally cool if the conversations around this part of life we share expressed unbridled joy? Who knows? Those kinds of conversations could even begin to include all the ways we experience joy in everything about our faith identity. Amen.